Maybe you can relate to some of those uh, signs previously, uh, the, the before the flip signs. Maybe you can relate to how your life has gone or you feel like your life is right now, and maybe you can relate to how God has done a good work in you and began to redeem you and transform you. We are in a uh, series on choices right now, and, and all of those stories that we just heard are the byproducts of people's choices. Every single day we make thousands of choices, which means that we have power to impact and influence our world, to affect our world and those we come in contact with, and that power then demands that we have responsibility. And so we have power to change our world and to change the people around us, and those choices also mean that we have a responsibility to live within the change that we make then. I hope this series has been insightful for you. You can find it on our webpage or also on our app. Real quick, before I move on to the final message of this series, I want to talk about what's happening next week and over the next month at Restoration Church. We are beginning a new series next week called The Boy Who Changed the World. And so we have these ornaments, beautiful little ornaments, sparkly little things, right, with a beautiful little tag on them. Uh, these have our, uh, our series title on them and then also information about not only Sundays here in uh, December, but also our Christmas Eve service. And I would just encourage you that if you have friends or family members or coworkers that you would like to invite to church this Christmas season, just take one of these along and hand it out as a simple gift to them that they can put on their tree uh, if they have a tree and, and remember uh, Restoration Church. Um, it's, just a, it's just a simple physical reminder. And so take as many as you think you could use, take as many as you think you need. They can find, be found in the foyer and also in the back hallway. Uh, we actually hand these out. We have a caroling expedition behind two Belgium horses coming up on December 18th. So get excited for that. Um, we're going to be going through the Pinewood section, and every single house in Pinewood will get one of these too. So um, hand these out, take as many as you think you need, and we can always make more. So there we go, the boy who changed the world. I hope that this is going to be an insightful um, series as we really <laughs> just discuss how our world is so drastically changed because this little boy was born in a manger some 2,000 years ago. I walked upon this earth, and he taught, and he and he uh, did various miracles and performed various signs, and all of these things influenced people to make changes in their life and in their community, which we are reaping now the benefits of today. So we're going to be talking a lot about how this world is so much different because Jesus walked upon it. And so I would encourage you to invite friends. Invite, invite, invite. We're also going to have uh, social media campaigns, a lot, of, a lot of things that you can share on social media, images and in invitations there as well. So invite. Um, talk about the goodness of God. Really, give all the glory to God. Talk about what God is doing in your life. Talk about what God is doing through uh, our, our church. And then invite people into it. Invite those people that you love into what God is doing here. Uh, it's an ex exciting uh, time of year and a, and a cool, cool community to be a part of. But today, we are finishing up a two-part series uh, within this series called The Choice for Jesus. And so, why Jesus? And my conclusion will be that there is no other way, truth, or life other than Jesus Christ. And I simply want to tell you my story, or parts of it anyway, to help you understand exactly why I made this conclusion uh, to commit my life to Jesus, to begin to follow Jesus. I'm going to have one verse, I think that is going to summarize it all up, and that's going to be at the end, so you're going to be a little, little Bible drought here for a little while, but that's okay. We'll get to scripture uh, eventually, but I want to tell you my story and how I came to this conclusion to commit my life to Jesus. So here's the thing, one of my very earliest memories one of my very earliest memories as a child, I was probably three or four uh, when this happened, but very, my, my very first memory was with my sister. I have, I, I'm the youngest of four kids. My, my sister, who is six years older than me, used to play a teddy bear with me. 
Teddy Bear was this game that she invented on her own. Uh, basically, she used me as her teddy bear, and that was her game that she played. She, she dragged me around the house like a child with a teddy bear. She cuddled me and held me and strangled me like a kid with a teddy bear. She just would not let me go. She was relentless in not letting me go. She gave me no freedom whatsoever. She just carried me around. I was this little kid. She carried around, and, uh, and she would not let me go. And so can you imagine being confined in a situation like this? I mean, spending literally hours of your day kicking and screaming, but this older being would not let you go from their grasp. It sounds cute and innocent, right? No, 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 it doesn't sound cute and innocent. It sounds horrible probably, right? And so one day when I was probably three or four, I, I broke away from my sister's grasp and I turned to her and I said, I hate you. These words came out of my mouth. I don't even know where I learned these words because we didn't use that kind of language in my household. But I said, and I turned to my sister, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. I cannot believe you were doing this to me. I hate you. And I ran away. And so here's the thing. My dad, at the same time, was actually putting a new door into our, our basement, out into our backyard, a sliding door. And so he had all of these shards of wood from the framing and the, uh, and the molding around. He was lying them, and he was like, hey, Ross, don't come near this construction zone. Don't come near the zone, because there's shards of wood, and a lot of these would have nails sticking up out of it. And so I was aware that my dad had warned me, don't come near this zone, don't, don't come near here until I'm, I'm done with it. My sister hadn't been told this, and so when she tried to play teddy bear with me, one day I, I break free from her grasp and I, I run away, and where do I go? I go towards the door, and I jump over this pile of wood that's all sharded up and has nails sticking out of it, and she doesn't know what's there, and she steps barefooted onto a board with a two-inch nail sticking out of it, and she is pierced by this two-inch nail. And all of a sudden, the hatred that I had for my sister in doing this turned into guilt, and it turned into shame, and it turned into this realization deep within me that I was a very broken human being. At the age of three, I recognized and knew within myself that there was something that was not right with who I am. See, this is one of my very first memories. As far back as I can remember, I know that I was screwed up and there was something wrong with me and that my internal, intrinsic personality and my identity was not right. I had a conscience that bore witness to it. I felt it in my heart and I felt it in my bones that something was not right, that I had screwed up, that I was guilty. And for the next 10 years or so, whenever I thought about dying, whenever I thought about dying, so I, would, I, would, it wasn't, I wasn't morbid or anything, but you know, I saw it on the news or, or I read a book and it had someone dying in it or, or I watched a movie and someone died in it or I attended a funeral. Whenever I thought about dying, all I could think about was darkness. It was black. There was no hope for me. There was no life beyond that death. And, and I wrestled with this and I, and I fought this and I struggled through this. My my conscience bore witness that I was broken and I knew that I was guilty of something and in that guilt, if I were to die, then there was no hope for me. There was no future for me. It was all black. And it scared me. And so at the age of eight or nine, I began wrestling with questions of the afterlife and I began question, uh, wrestling with questions of meaning and purpose and if they even exist upon this world. And, and I began to wrestle with my guilt and the need for forgiveness and all of these things. And I realized that talking to other people that they were wrestling with the exact same questions. That this is actually a universal human question. That the way that this questioning of meaning and purpose and guilt and forgiveness and freedom and, and, uh, and, and all of this are universal questions that we're all asking. And the way that those questions are developed in you may look totally different than how they're developed in me, but we are all asking these universal questions at some point in our life. Is this life worth living? 
Is there purpose in this life? Is there meaning? Is there actually liberty and freedom from the guilt that I experience and the knowledge that I have that I am screwed up? We're all trying to figure out who we are. We're all searching for an identity. And for my search, even at the age of eight or nine, I began this search for an identity by finding it in girls. So <laughs> I had my first girlfriend as a sixth grader. And between Jackie Johnson as a sixth grader and Emily Ritter, who would eventually become Emily Manders, my wife, I had 16 girlfriends. Uh, nah, nah, don't, yeah. I had... And it's not something I'm proud of. It's not something I'm proud of. I didn't know at the time, but I was really trying to fill some void within my life. That's exactly what I was doing. I was trying to fill some void in my soul and create happiness in an identity of being a good boyfriend and, and having a girlfriend. And so I was like, hey, you know, I have this void in me. I feel this, this longing deep inside me. I'm trying to fulfill some unanswered question deep in my soul somewhere. And so, hey, uh, maybe a girlfriend would, would fulfill that. And so I had a girl, and then I would smother her, and then I would, uh, she would run away, and then I would feel lonely, and then I would say, hey, I have this loneliness. I better go find a girl. And so I'd find another girl, and I would smother her, and then she would run away, and then I would feel lonely again, and I would say, hey, I better go find another girl. And so I'd find another girl. I would smother her. She would run away. I mean, this is a broken record. This is a story of my life until Emily actually pointed out a lot of these truths to me. God bless her. Good woman's hard to find, guys. I'm telling you. It's, it's a good thing. But I was trying to fill some void in my soul, and I felt horrible, and to make myself feel better, I went and I found more and more girls, and I had this perpetual loneliness deep inside of me. And so to fulfill this perpetual loneliness, I thought, hey, you know, the girl thing isn't working. That's not really taking away any of this loneliness. He's not answering any of the questions I have, so maybe popularity would do it. And so I began to dress like the popular kids, and I, I began to talk like the popular kids. I began to hang out where the popular kids hang out and do what the popular kids do. And, and I thought, hey, maybe if I were popular, maybe if people liked me and people wanted me and desired to be near me, and, and they talked about me when I wasn't around in positive ways, you know, and they put me on their homecoming court and all of these various things in high school, then, hey, maybe... I would find that satisfaction that I was looking for, and then I would go home and I would take off the mask, and then I would feel lonely again. And then I turned the TV on, and, and it was an inundated with advertisements claiming that actually, you know, the world had the solution to all my problems. <laughs> I heard that Arby's, you know, had all the solution to my problems, that happiness was just a curly fry away, and I was like, oh man, that's true, right? Happiness is just a curly fry away, but then I got to the end of the curly fry box, and I'm like, what happened to my happiness? It went away. And then Sears told me that they had the good life at a great price, and this was guaranteed. It wasn't something they were suggesting. It was guaranteed. Best Buy told me that I could simply be happier if I bought a larger television screen. Walmart told me that the quality of my life would actually be better if I were to save money by shopping in their stores. Coca-Cola told me to open happiness. And so at the age of 13, I got my very first job because I, saw, I thought, hey, if I want to have all of these consumable products, then I need to earn money. And so I thought, hey, if I had a lot of money, maybe that would solve the need and I could buy all these things that would actually fulfill me and get rid of all the questionings deep within my heart. I thought maybe if I had status because I had money, then that would fulfill the longings for people to like me and to want me. And so how many of you think, well, if only? If only, if only, if only, and the, if only I had more money, then you know what, maybe then I would be content. You know, if, if I had more money, then that would really solve all of the problems and I wouldn't have to be worried anymore. If only I lived somewhere else, then I'd be happy. 
Or, you know, if only I had a significant other, then that would really fill me and really fulfill me. Or if only I drove that car, then people would think that I was important. Or if I lived in that house, then people would know that I had arrived. Or, you know what, if I hadn't said that, if I hadn't done that thing, if I hadn't said that thing, then maybe, maybe I could actually go to sleep at night. And so we stuff ourselves with these things and food and working longer, harder hours and climbing the corporate ladder. And we stuff ourselves with sex and money and popularity and alcohol and drugs, thinking that we'll be fulfilled and we'll achieve that thing which we desire. And we'll finally answer that lagging question, who am I? I'll finally found an identity. I'll finally get these nagging questions answered and I get the burden of them off my soul and off my heart and off my mind. You see, the world promises that we will be happy. And we all long to be happy, and it's only natural. We all long to be happy. We all long to be fulfilled and satisfied. We know that we need to be forgiven. We want the shame and the guilt to be erased. We have dreams of a hope and a future that is not our present circumstances. And so the world promises a solution, and yet for some reason we still feel broken. I can't be the only one who, who thinks this, right? We, we go to the world thinking that all of our problems, all the... Uh, all the unmet longings in our heart are going to be met, and for some reason we walk away and we're still longing. We're still unsatisfied. We still feel hollow. We still feel sad. We still long and, and, and hope to be fulfilled. We still question our worth and the purpose for which we exist. Because for some reason, the longer and the harder hours, all it really did was take me away from my family. And for some reason, climbing the corporate ladder is, is making me question my ethics. And for some reason, the sex isn't as good as Hollywood makes it sound. And for some reason, the popularity is fleeting. And for some reason, the alcohol and the drugs, they create a monster out of me. For some reason, money burns. Popularity is fleeting, and the house can be destroyed by the earthquake or the flood. You see, the, off, the world is offering us a counterfeit life what it's doing. It's offering a counterfeit life. It's giving us a cheap answer to a million dollar question, but we are all looking for something authentic. We're all looking for something that is genuine. We're all looking for something that is real and something that is true. That is the longing of the human heart. It's almost as if we are searching for a model in some ways. We're, we're looking for an example. You know, if there was just somebody who had done this thing well before us that we could follow as an example. If there was just someone who, who found contentment and peace within their own heart that we could say, how did you do that? That we could follow and emulate and, and ask the hard questions of. Someone who had discovered their identity, who was not shaken by the storms of life or, or the, the changing circumstances. Someone who, who, would, who was not rocked by unmet longings or, or, or destroyed by the cancerous growth of guilt in their heart. If there was just someone who had gone before who could model what it looked like and we could ask the hard questions of what does it mean to be a human upon this earth, and then maybe we would have some direction. Because, I mean, think, think about it for a second. Have you ever stopped and wondered, what would my life be like if I didn't have a heart that was full of anger? Anybody ever asked that question before? What would my life be like if I didn't have a heart that was full of anger? Or what would living in this household be like if we actually loved each other? And, and our intent was to serve one another rather than to bicker at each other or, or complain about what the other person is doing. What would it look like? What would it feel like to live in this household? 
Or what would contentment be like if, if I was content when I got into my car every morning to go to work? What would that feel like? Or what would freedom from anxiety be like? That seems like such a great concept. I wonder what that would feel like. Has anybody ever asked these questions and all the other ones that go along with it? We are all longing for satisfaction and for fulfillment and for meaning and for purpose and for something to take away the guilt that we all experience deep within our human heart. We want to be human. We want it so bad we're just not very good at it, you know? It's like we all want to be human. We're just, we're just really bad at it. We don't even know what it looks like. We're confused at even what it looks like. And so for me, none of these worldly solutions, filling myself with all the sensual pleasures of the world, none of them met the deepest longings of the human heart that I was wrestling with and all the questions that I was asking. None of them met those. And, and so what did I do? I did what every single person who has walked upon this earth has done at some point or another, I think. I turned to religion. I said, the world can't answer my questions, and so maybe religion can, because religion is simply the idea that I can take away the guilt, and I can answer these profound questions by what I do. And so it's like, you know, you may not be a religious person, but you're still religious in the sense where you are trying to answer these questions by your own efforts. And so you go shopping, and that's religion for you. Or you delve into science, and that's religion for you. You get these hobbies, and that's religion for you. Religion is simply that thing that we do to try to answer the questions on our own. And so I jumped into religion, and I'm not unique in this. In fact, that is exactly why religion began so many thousands of years ago. The actual religion of giving honor to the deities, that is why religion began. From day one, religion was humanity's response to what was happening in the human heart. It was happening in our human soul. It was happening in our human experience. Religion was that response as we searched for an answer to why we are who we are so, see, so people saw the world in all its various brokenness, right? So several thousands of years ago when religions were forming, people looked at the world and they said, this world is broken. I feel it in my heart. I see it all around me as I live uh, on this earth. The world is broken. And they looked out west and they saw the huge black clouds rolling in. And they thought, wow, man, that is so scary. That is so intimidating. And I see the lightning flashing and the thunder is rolling. And then the tornado drops down and it destroys our little cities and it ravages our cornfields. And then the earthquake comes along and it destroys our cities and ravages our cornfields. And then the tsunamis roll up and that destroys everything. And then you know what? They looked over and they saw that their friends were infertile and they couldn't have children. And they saw that as a curse from the gods. And, and then their friend died of a, of a horrible disease and they said, hey, my friend must be cursed from the gods too. They saw all of the brokenness and all of these various forms as God's response to our guilt. We were guilty. We know that we are broken. We know that we are messed up. And so the gods are responding, punishing us, right? This is our punishment because we know from deep within us that we have done something wrong, that we have screwed up, that we have offended something beyond us. And so my story of wrestling with an internal knowledge that something isn't right is not unique to me. This is what everybody has dealt with who's ever walked upon this planet, this intrinsic internal knowledge is universal. It is natural for all of us to have this. And we all have this. We all have this understanding and this knowledge that we have committed some felony, that we are wrong, that we are guilty, and we are searching for a solution to that. And so the question that bothered humanity in every corner of the world from day one is, how do I remove my guilt? That is the question that plagued humanity from day one. How do I remove my guilt? And the answer that every culture throughout the world came to was... Religion. 
religion. I must do something. I must work at developing a solution to the problem that is so deep within me. And so somehow I need to appease the gods. So in response to my guilt and the punishment that we are receiving, I will offer sacrifices and I will burn offerings and I'll burn incense and I'll say my prayers and I'll build my temples and I will try to appease the gods because somehow I must do something to get rid of the guilt that I'm experiencing. See, religion is man's attempt to solve the problem of our eternal guilt by appeasing the gods, by doing something by working, and every religion does this. So the, the, the Muslim forder, in order to please Allah and receive the reward, they pray under strict direction. And they follow their guidelines and they follow their rules under strict direction, and they fast regularly and they recite the words of Muhammad, Allah's prophet. And the Buddhist, or the Hindu for that matter, believe that time is not linear. It doesn't follow in a straight line. It's actually cyclical. It repeats and falls back upon itself. And so the life that we live will eventually be reincarnated into something else, depending on how good or bad we are here. And the whole goal of the Buddhist and the Hindu is to escape this cycle, to get, rid of, to get, to get out of the cycle of life and death and to escape into non-existence. And the way that you can do that is by emptying yourself, by working hard, by being a good person. And if I am a good enough person, then eventually I will have emptied myself completely and I will enter into non-existence. The Roman Catholic seeks freedom from guilt through... Grace offered by Jesus Christ, which ironically is given to them as they pray the rosary, and as they go to confession, and as they take communion, and as they work. You see, these in every religion seek to appease the offended gods by doing something. That is the very nature of religion. We are doing something in order to appease the God in order to get rid of the guilt that is deep within all of us. That is the very nature of religion. And so humans throughout history have believed that if they follow the prescribed rules and the directions given them by their deity, that they would enter into the deity's favor and in return receive whatever paradise the deity offers. If we do enough work, we will be rewarded, in other words. But if you think critically about this, several problems arise. The first problem with religion is how can one actually tell if they are good enough? How can one actually tell if they are moral enough, that if you've actually appeased the gods, if you have done enough moral good deeds and, and done enough good things and followed enough prescribed rules in order to appease the God that you are trying to appease? How does one actually know if your God has been pacified? Is it when my conscience is clear? It is, when I, is, it, is it when I no longer feel guilty for any of the things I've done? Because I don't know about you guys, but in the history of my life, in the 34 years I've been upon this planet, that really hasn't happened a whole lot. I still feel like I have a conscience that works against me at times, that tells me when I am wrong. Is it when bad things stop happening in the world? Because I don't know about you guys, but in my experience, that hasn't happened yet. How do you actually know when the God has been pacified? How do you know when you have finally appeased the God See, religion is man's attempt to solve the problem of our internal, intrinsic guilt. But time and time again, and experience after experience, confirms for us that it doesn't work. Religion does not work. It does not solve the problem that we all long for a solution for. And so for some reason, religion cannot wash away my guilt because, oh, I screwed up again yesterday. As we all did, right? We all screwed up again yesterday, and so I got to go pray the rosary again? Okay, well... 
I'm going to screw up again. And, and I don't know, I, I screwed up again yesterday, and so I'm going to turn my mat towards Mecca, and I'm going to say some prayers. And, oh, I screwed up again yesterday. I better go to the confession booth. And, oh, I screwed up again yesterday. I better go take communion. I screwed up again. I better do something in order to appease the God in whom I have offended. I must work at it. I must work at it. And, my friends, this becomes such a heavy burden. And so for me, in my search for genuine humanity, the life of the world let me down time and time again, over and over again. The life of the world let me down again. I could not satisfy the deep desires of my heart by any sensual pleasure, by anything that the world offered me. It would not take it away. I could not appease the guilt within my soul by religion. I could not find a solution to any of this, either through the world or through religion. I just couldn't do it. I had this internal struggle and the longing to understand who I was. And so what I eventually discovered and what freed me to live a life free from guilt and free from shame and to be a person of hope and a person of purpose upon this earth, what I eventually realized and what I eventually discovered that it can't be the world and it can't be religion. There's only one solution to the problem and it is complete and pure forgiveness. And that's it. I needed forgiving. I needed forgiveness for the wrongs that I had committed and the wrongs that I knew I had committed that were deep within my heart. The reason I fell in love with Jesus Christ and committed my life to serving him was because he and he alone offered forgiveness. There's no other religious system or no other religious person or figurehead in the entire world that offers forgiveness other than Jesus Christ. Every single other religion says work at it. Work at it. Work at it harder. Do some more. Burn more incense. Say more prayers. Do something in order to appease your guilt. There is no deity in this world that offers forgiveness except Jesus Christ. Only he in all of history offers a path to forgiveness. And forgiveness sets us free. Grace sets us free. It's his love poured out from God that sets us free to live freely upon this earth. And so there's one verse that I came across that spoke to this. When I was, when I was uh, really reflecting on this and trying to figure this out for myself, there was one verse that I came across that spoke to this. It was when Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. There is no other path to the Father except through me, he says. Just this past week, I was at the grocery store. Emily had asked me to pick up some craisins. I guess know what a craisin is? It's like a dried up cranberry. Uh, delicious for salad toppings. And I'm like, all right, salad, okay. It's got to be a salad topping. So I'm like, okay, salad, salad, salad. Where would salad toppings be? I'm like, okay. I'm going to go searching for craisins in a grocery store. And I'm like, you guys, if you know me, grocery stores are like mazes to me. I don't get them. I don't get how they're laid out. I don't get why they decided to put this thing in the same aisle as that thing and why they decided to put this on that shelf next to that thing and why they didn't put that thing that should be over here, over there. And I just, they're just, they're so confusing. Does that, I can't be the only one, right? Grocery stores, whacked out. Yeah, okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Emily gets them, I don't. And so I'm like, craisins, craisins, craisins. I spent like 25 minutes looking for craisins. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go ask someone where the craisins are. And so I go to the lady with the blue shirt on, and she's like, okay, craisins. I don't know where craisins are exactly, but I think they're about five rows down that direction next to the salad dressing and uh, probably next to the croutons. And so if you take a right on that row, um, you're going to want to go about three shelves up next to the croutons, and you should find craisins right there. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't help me at all, right? So I go walking down the, down the aisle towards uh, looking for the salad dressing on the, on the marquee up above. And I'm like, salad dressing, okay. And I go to where she says the craisins should be, and they're not there. 
Craisins aren't where she thought craisins would be. And so I'm like, really? Come on, come on. And so I ask another guy in a blue shirt, and he's like, oh, yeah, craisins? Yeah, they're not near the salad dressing. They're over by the lettuce. And I'm like, really? Okay, so the craisins are by the lettuce. Okay, so I need to go over to the produce aisle and look for the lettuce. I'm going to find craisins over there. And I'm like, this whole time, I'm like, for the love of, will someone just take me to the craisins? Where's customer service these days, right? Come on, where is the help when a guy needs to find craisins in the grocery store? Will someone just take me by the hand and comfort me on this journey as I look for craisins? That's all I wanted was for someone to take me to craisins. And all I am explaining to you in this whole time is the difference between Jesus and religion. That's it. Jesus does not tell you directions that are wayward and confusing. He doesn't give you a list of rules to follow and say, turn left here and then look three shelves up and you'll find the craisins. He says, let me show you the way. Let me take you by the hand. Let me walk alongside you as we together go to the craisins. Weird analogy, I get it. See, Jesus doesn't offer us advice. He does offer us advice. He, he tells us how life works best, certainly, but he offers us news. And that is what is so drastically different and so important is that Jesus gives us good news. He does not give us good advice. Jesus and Christianity declares what has already been done on our behalf. It promises what will happen in the future. It gives us a hope that is secure because something in the past has already taken place. Its chief motivation is not to give us advice and to put us on some track of directions and rules and something to follow and something to do. It simply declares what has already been accomplished for us. It is telling us something. It is not giving us advice. And so nobody, nobody other than Jesus Christ has looked upon our condition and said, hey, here's a, here's a, here's a great list of rules. Why don't you go follow and you can escape this condition. Nobody has come and said, hey, I am going to show you the way out of your condition. I'm going to walk you by the hand. I'm going to take you by the hand. I'm going to walk you out of your condition. Everyone else is just like, hey, here's some rules to follow. Here's a list of good advice. If you do these things, maybe it'll work out in the end for you, but maybe not because you really don't even know what the prescribed rules are and how much of the good things you're supposed to do. It's all on some celestial scale up above, and so good luck in the end. And Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come down into your situation, into your guilt, into your brokenness, and I'm going to take you by the hand, and I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to show you the way, and all I ask is that you recognize that you have a problem. All I ask is that you recognize your guilt and you acknowledge how you have wronged me, your creator. And I will forgive you and I will walk with you out of this guilt. You do not have enough good work to offer me. Rather, I am simply going to take you by the hand and I'm going to show you the way. You see, there is no other God who pursues you. No other God has pursued you. And you must recognize this. No other God pursues you. They simply sit up in their celestial heaven. They say, good luck down there. Do this, do this, do this. Maybe it'll work out in the end for you, but maybe not. Only Christ has pursued us in our brokenness and in our hurt and in our guilt and offered us forgiveness. There is no other way forward and out but Jesus Christ. Only he is the way. I'm going to invite the band forward as we reflect on this for just a few more minutes. You see, when I was younger, I had mentioned that I wanted an example. I, I, I just I wanted a model, you know? I wanted, like, is there somebody who was so good at this, who had done it before, that could show me how to do it? Is there somebody who was so perfect in their humanity that, that I could look to them as, as, a, as a model and as a blueprint to follow? And that is exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the truth. 
I am that which conforms to what is reality. I am the human blueprint. I am the human model. I will show you what it means to live rightly. And just after Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life, he told his disciples that if you see me, you also see the Father. I actually model the Father. And in me, then you can model after the Father. You can become human because I am God, in other words. And so notice that Jesus doesn't say, I will tell you the truth. I will point you to the truth. He says, I am the truth. I am that which is real. I am the truth. Jesus is the model of humanity. He is the real human person. He is that which is genuine. And here's the thing. About six hours after Jesus said this, he would be nailed to a cross. And so you want a model of what humanity looks like? You want a model of what genuine, real, authentic humanity looks like? Look no further than Jesus hanging upon a cross. He hung upon a cross for a crime that he did not commit. In his love, he took our guilt upon himself, and then this marvelous, beautiful exchange took place that was infused with this miraculous love of God. Jesus came and he said, I will give you my freedom for your guilt. And I will give you my death for your life. And I will give you my hope and my future for your restlessness. That is an incredible, beautiful exchange that Jesus paid our penalty upon our cross for a crime that he did not commit. And this is the model of humanity? To lay down your life for your enemies? This is what it means to be human? This is what it means to be genuine? This is what it means to be a real human person? This is the truth? This is the model humanity to lay down your life in love for your enemies? And Jesus is saying, yes, absolutely, yes, this is the model humanity. And so, my friends, Jesus offers the way. Jesus offers the way to right living, to, to authentic, real humanity through the cross and through forgiveness so that we might experience life freely. He is the way, the truth, and the life but please also remember this, that Jesus is also a choice that we make. Jesus, too, is a choice that we have to make. His love, his grace, his forgiveness, this also is a choice. And so if we want the new life where guilt and shame are washed away and, and hope is discovered and purpose is renewed, then saying yes to Jesus Christ is your very first step in receiving this and in, in, in experiencing this. And that is a choice to make. The choice to commit your life to Jesus, to follow in his way, is a choice that we make. We don't have to make it. We could deny it. But it is a choice that we must make. And it's not only a choice that we make at one time in our life, it is a choice that we must make daily, my friends. Jesus said that we must take up our cross. If you want to be the model humanity that looks like Jesus upon a cross, laying down his life for his friends, Jesus says, take up your cross as well. Daily do this. Daily take up your cross. Minute by minute, take up your cross. Look at yourself in the mirror, and you say, I'm going to lay down my life for the benefit of my friends. And not only for my friends, but for the benefit of my enemies. That is what it means to be human. That is what genuine humanity looks like. And so tomorrow when I wake up and I remember that I had screwed up today and that I remember that I am still broken, I need to look in the mirror and I need to remind myself of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because there are times, my friends, when guilt seems overwhelming, 
There are times when it's like, I don't want to get out of bed because I feel that there's guilt overwhelming me. But my friends, the forgiveness of Jesus is not a subjective reality. It is not based on how you feel in any given moment. It is an objective truth. You are forgiven. And so when those feelings of guilt rise up within you, you need to stand firm and you need to say, Jesus Christ has forgiven me. There is nothing I can do to earn his favor. There's nothing I can do to earn his forgiveness. I must merely stand and say, Christ, you have done the work on my behalf. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, does this life have purpose? Is there any meaning for me to get out of bed? Do I, what am I going to gain from doing this? You need to stand firm. You need to say, Jesus Christ has secured the right humanity on my behalf, and so I have a purpose to, to extend this into the world. And when I see someone who is broken, I have a message to share. And when I see someone who is hurting, I have a gospel to preach. When I see someone who is longing and unsatisfied, then I have a truth to share. And that is a purpose for my life, to bring people into the same state of redemption that I have experienced. But it's all a choice. And every day we make it. Do you want to live in your guilt and be enslaved, or do you want to be free through the forgiveness of Jesus? And this is what I struggled for so many years to discover. Where is their freedom from my guilt? And it's only in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Where is their purpose for my life? It's only in the purpose of God for me. Where is their satisfaction and a, law and a, and a fulfillment of the longings in my heart? It is through an identity in Jesus Christ. And I hope and I pray that you too will make that choice for Jesus today if you haven't already. We're going to sing one final song together to reflect on this. But here is my hope and my prayer for you guys that if you have not yet experienced the life, the fulfillment, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, that you would stand today and you would say, I make a choice for Jesus. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be weighed down by the burden and the guilt any longer, but I will live freely in the life of Jesus Christ. And if you need to make that choice today, come and find me, please. Let's have this conversation. Let's continue the conversation. If you've made that choice today, then uh, if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, then we need to celebrate. Come and find me. I got some resources for you. I'd like to hand to you.